Real compassion and real empathy is feeling another's way of being and not making them wrong about it. Even if you don't relate to it, he's doing the best that he can. All of your insecurities have a root that is beneficial. Make your goals and believe in yourself and believe that you can do it. There is nothing more important than visualization and making a plan and a goal. We are creators of our universe. I could do better is a brain virus. Because you could always do better. If you want to change the result, you change the game. Today's guest is Craig Parkin. Craig, I met here in Chiang Mai, Thailand recently, fortuitously, during the filming of a documentary that I'm in that I can't speak about in detail beyond what I just said. Um, but he, ended up, he and I ended up chatting uh, because, I, you know, as I mentioned in other episodes, I've been really exploring this concept of abundance within the body and the nervous system, like the concept of anxiety being a primal contraction, which is basically a lower level version of the feeling of scarcity around money or things that make us feel bad. Anyway, I'm sure about that some other time. But uh, speaking with Craig helped clarify certain ideas or certain stuck points, especially around language and uh, the experience that we have around abundance and wealth. Um, so I've had many very fun chats with Craig since meeting him just a few weeks ago. And he shared with me that he's writing a book. Uh, he sent me an advanced copy. He's very interesting ideas in the book. Uh, he's got some great stories. Um, and we, yeah, we speak about wealth and um, the experience of wealth, which is not to be measured in dollars, but to be understood subjectively. Anyway, right now you're listening to, uh, oh, actually his book's not out yet, but it will be in the near future. And I will attach the link to this, but I want to share this now because you should listen to it now. Right now you're listening to episode 095, Craig Parkin, Experiencing Wealth. The Ruando Podcast is an exploration of the unconscious and the game of life. Be sure to visit ruando.com to get a preview chapter of my upcoming book, Infinite Play, and free access to my content library. Enjoy the show. Once you started speaking, I was like, oh, I should have hit record a minute ago. But, I, thought, yeah. I was like, oh, this is going really well. Yeah, you, you, you already threw a great quote and we missed it. Sorry to the oh, audience. Oh, 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 I already oh, forgot what you said. Oh, it's oh. gone. I said a master is someone who's fucked up every way there is to fuck up and learn from it. Yeah. So we met only two weeks ago, right? Yeah. Three weeks right. ago. Yeah. Uh, filming a documentary that I can't speak about yet. Uh, was at your place. Yep. You were speaking about wealth and I happened to be pondering... More anxiety from like or anxiety and abundance and the relationship of that internally, um, and then yeah, I had to speak to you about wealth and we had a very enlightening lunch that I think changed a lot of things for me positively. I, I'm happy to share about that, and here we are talking about your book. Absolutely. Well, I, I was really happy to meet you. I think that you're a you're a fascinating, interesting, um, mysterious guy, and um, you're certainly leading a very interesting life. And Thanks. I think that's about the biggest compliment I can give anybody. Thank you. I, I, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so I want to actually just, before we go into your book, and you know, it's on wealth, yeah. obviously, I want to share uh, some, I guess I haven't even told you this, but, uh, things that I've been affected by your words already. Um, one thing that I was just thinking about today is um, not making people wrong. We were speaking about my father. 
Yep. I don't know how we ended up speaking about my father, but we did on our second or first meeting, really. And I've been trying to apply this with people I know. Obviously, it's internal. They don't know I'm doing it. And I've been noticing how their behavior just keeps changing in a positive way, and it, I got to avoid a lot of confrontation. Um, and yes, yeah, so I guess I want to say thanks, and I'm curious of how you came to that realization to share with me. Yeah, that, that's, um, you know, we can, we can talk about it if you'd like. That's one of the five styles of unsuccessful operations mm -hmm. um, that you read in the book. And um, it's funny you say righteousness, because it's one that I deal with the most also. Um, with all of the styles, it's like we, we learn a, a strategy for dealing with our own pain when we're young. Um, you know, the whole process of growing up can be so, um, so tough on us. And one of them is that we, we start to believe that if we're right, that somehow that alleviates some kind of inner vex inside yeah. of us, you know? And uh, you, we get it because when we do things and we're successful, we go, oh, this is right, oh, this is right. So we, we kind of fall in love with this feeling of this is right, and it's yeah. like this warm blanket. And it's the most insidious, I think, of all of the five styles that I mentioned because I, I honestly think that it kills people. I think that we go to war to be right. I think that uh, people divorce and, in mm -hmm. relationships and with their parents, you know, and uh, that's what we're talking about with, with, with you and your dad, about it's really hard to get, but real compassion and real empathy is, is feeling another's way of being mm -hmm. and not making them wrong about it. Yeah. E even if you don't relate to it, He's doing the best that he can. I think that what I told you was, if we were to interview your father, uh, you would be one of the most important people in his life. And mm -hmm. you would be the one that he would love right up there as the most. And what gets blocked is not his love, but his expression of the love. Right. And so if you, if, with your parents or people that you love are, are really trying to express love, but you're going, no, no, don't love me like that. Love me the way I want you to love me. You're wrong to try to love me like that. You know, it's like controlling or manipulative parents, you know. It's really hard for us to get sometimes that that's their highest level of expression of love. Right. And if you, if you can get that, if you can get that, that weird expression, it's weird for us, expression of love, is actually them saying, I love you. It melts them from having to keep producing that type of communication because they go, oh, they got it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it, we all speak different languages, even when we're speaking English. And it's hard to recognize that when, I mean, just, just re recognizing that reality is plural and we all have our own thing is very challenging. I mean, I'm remembering the Martin Luther King quote, I mean, supposedly he said this, of judging a man by his values, not yours. Yep. And it's very, it's very hard because, I mean, well, I'll say with another example with uh, actually a gentleman you know who I've, I've had some conflict with. I realized that me making him wrong in my head, one, I, I was getting some sort of joy out of it. Like every time he was proving me right of like, ah, oh, he, he fucked up again. Or like, yep. you know, he yep. went back on his word again. This is exactly yep. what the, the picture I painted of him. Right. I was getting a joy out of it, even though the things were upsetting me. It's like, why am I, why am I becoming joyful over this? Like, I'm getting some sort of satisfaction about being disappointed, right. Right. which is ridiculous. Like I'm not even getting what I want. I'm yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really funny. Um, I was, I was married before, and uh, my wife said to me, you know, you're very negative about my negativity. <laughs> and I was like, oh, damn it, she got me. Because I was be she was being negative, and I was being self-righteous about her negativity. Mm -hmm. And so then I was being negative about her negativity. 
and we both end up in exactly the same place. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, to have transformation around that um, is, is really significant. Like in, in business, you know, I've always been in sales my whole life. I really relate to being in sales. And I used to, when people would say, you know, no, or it's too expensive, or say something I didn't like, I would work really hard on changing that. Mm -hmm. You know, like trying to show them that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, nobody wants to be made wrong. Nobody in the world ever, in the history of the world, really wants to be made wrong. Mm -hmm. So they will fight harder to prove that they're right, yeah. to convince you. So then you've got this battle, and guess what? You, you want them to buy something, so they have that power. But I found out that if you really listen, really listen, I mean, and listening is so underrated. It's listening is so much more powerful than speaking because you can listen for so much more communication than you can put out when you're speaking. But if you really listen and you really get and recreate when somebody says no and have them say no and have them mean no when you're talking to them, it goes away. Yeah. Now they can recreate it, but just like people go, oh, you understand. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. like <laughs> just having, that's what we all want. Every day we wake up hoping someone will actually understand. Yeah. You know, and, and we feel like we're so different and we're so messed up and we feel like, you know, no one really understands. It's like there's kind of these magic words. It's a little bit of a verbal martial arts, but you can say to anybody that you want to gain rapport with, wow, nobody really knows what you have to go through. And people go, oh, God, somebody <laughs> understands. And if you're, if you're dealing with a manager at a, at a car rental place, you know, and they're frustrated, you can t if you want to break them and you want to have them, I mean, by break, I mean break their bad mood or break their, their stand of not wanting to give you what you want, you say, you know what, I really realize, people don't realize what you have to go through mm -hmm. in a day. And you can just watch them, just merely being gotten. And then you can do what, what's referred to as reframe. You can create something new at that moment because they've dropped their wall. And yeah. that's what your dad did, right? Your dad dropped his wall. Yeah, immediately. Or like, uh, you know, people will, it's almost like people always contradict, like you say you're sorry. Like, no, 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 it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. It's like, but if you attack them, they're going to tell you why you're it, wrong. Exactly. You know? That is so much the case. That's why apologies. That's like what we talked about. Mm -hmm. It's like, I heard it said, and I really believe it, that all problems in human relations have from, have come from uh, a place of broken agreement. Mm -hmm. Now, it may be spoken or unspoken yeah. agreement. Like, like um, I'm gay, and I think I told you that at one point I apologized to my mom um, for ending up being gay. And uh, it's not that I'm ashamed of being gay in any way, but I know that for her, that, that was like an agreement that I was going to be a certain way. Right. And I wasn't. And she, she got it, and it really ma it made a difference in our relationship. And so I've discovered, like, that apology is this major thing. Like, you know, I live in Asia, and so people are always, like, worried about losing face. But I'm like, man, I have so much face. I can lose some face. Yeah. So an apology goes really a long way. And it's even like you can, the way you word it, you can be like, I'm I apologize if I caused you pain. Mm -hmm. And that, that just lets people, all of a sudden, that is so empowering. Yeah. It can get tricky because, I mean, you talk about victim being one of the other right. five things. Right. But, I mean, I think in, in our culture, especially internet culture, some people are so stuck on the victim thing 
that you'll they'll say like, oh that's not a good enough apology like you hear that now right it's like right. it's not enough that you uh, are sorry for what I'm feeling you need to be sorry for what you did because it's the absolute evil thing but that's a thing that uh, no I think I think that's I think it's a really important point and I guess what I can say is I can t- talked about something I didn't talk about it in the book but I I've traveled a lot the last count I've been to about seventy different countries. And I remember running out of gas uh, at night in Morocco on an old road. And the guy I was with was, uh, was a young man I was traveling with. And he was like freaked out. And I'm like, you don't have to worry, travel angel. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, I got, I got out of the car. And the first car drove by nothing. The second car, I put my hand on my chest. They pulled over. No English. I gave them money. They drove for 20 minutes, came back, and, and brought um, some gas back. And they, and they wouldn't even accept... Uh, Money. They wouldn't. I, I tried to give them extra money, and he, he goes, well, "How does that work?" And I said, "It's very simple. You make yourself vulnerable without being passive." And there, it's a very interesting distinction because when I apologize, I'm not doing it from supplication. I'm not doing it from a passive. I'm doing it from a. It's a powerful apology. It's like, hey, you know what? I understand that I was involved in something that hurt you. But it's not that I blame myself, and it's not that I feel guilty about it. It's that there's something that's happened in this relationship that I care about. So it's maintaining, it's maintaining your dignity when you apologize. Mm-hmm. And so if I apologize to someone sincerely and they say, oh, that wasn't good enough, I say, well, let me apologize again. I'm sorry my apology wasn't good enough, but we're mm-hmm. really done here. Mm-hmm. And I mean it. Mm-hmm. I mean like, hey, God bless you away from me. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm going to apologize and mean it and somebody is going to write it off, I'm now done with them. It's now cancel, delete. You know, I, I'm not going to deal with that person anymore. Yeah, because I've it's been an important distinction. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. I really am all about distinctions. Yeah. So I think a lot of people assume the idea of apology means you're supplicating or... Bending over backwards. Absolutely. Or, or rolling over on your back. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm so... That, that's not a real apology. Uh-huh. That's one of the styles of... That's regret. Right. That's one of the styles of operations. Uh-huh. You know? Um, so I think, there's, I think there's a big difference in uh, a powerful... Like, I can stand in my manhood. I can stand in my personhood and apologize powerfully and mean it and not feel like I'm that little kid saying, gee, Mom, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so one part I really loved about your book was the focus on your child self. Like you, you kept, you have all these questions on your earliest memory of this and that. Right, right. Actually, I, I actually, I'm going to give you feedback later, but I wish there was more of that, actually. Oh, okay. Um, but it was really interesting, like, with, there's some questions about, I think, delight over things you received or something. I don't remember Say exactly. it again? Delight over things. Like, oh, yeah, like, what did, you, what did you get that, like... We, I feel like we always have this kind of, particularly in the West, we have an inner vex. We have this part that we're feeling like something is missing. And then sometimes when we get something, that missing part gets filled. And just mm-hmm. for a little while, we're like, oh, I'm whole, I'm complete. Yeah, well, that was interesting because my first mem- my, my memory of that was actually, I think, one of my first memories ever. I think it, it might be almost pre-verbal of getting a G.I. Joe. I was maybe two and a half or three. I didn't know what a yep. G.I. Joe was. Right. But I could not believe that such a thing could exist and I could have it. Yeah. Like my mom got it. It wasn't my birthday. It was just like she just bought me one. Yep. And like, um, I, 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 it almost brought tears to my eyes how meaningful that little piece of plastic was to me. Right. For some reason, 
at that point. And I, I actually, I, the reason why I wish there were more questions is like, I don't really know what to do with that feeling or where that comes from or what that means. For I me think, now. I think, I think, I think that we can definitely work on that. I mean, you definitely got a masculine role model, right? You got like mm-hmm. a, a deity, right? I mean, so that, that was like, cause like as little kids were like searching for archetypes, right? Yeah. So you got this archetype that you resonated to at that yeah. moment. That's interesting because like even in, I have a whole class on masculine archetypes and one of the questions I ask for exercises is like what are the things that don't seem that you're, you're interested in that didn't seem to come from your parents or they just didn't right. they just came out of nowhere right. it's like right. the closest thing and one of my things is I've always been into military history and combat sports right. and like I've had zero influence of that in my upbringing and I want actually I'm real like is it this GI Joe that I randomly got because my mom wanted to give me a five dollar toy? Well, there's a really <laughs> there's a really interesting <laughs> thing that happens with that, and it happens with almost everybody. And I think I even mentioned it in the book, where you we actually are. This is really bizarre, and it's going to sound strange, but honestly, it's just true. We get to live out our parents' unlived fantasies. Mm-hmm. So, if like I have some background with your father, right? Mm-hmm. That he, that he's Buddhist, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that he's pacifist, yeah, and um, really just doesn't exert himself. So it, so that's what he's made conscious. So that part of him that's aggressive, that a part of him that's go getter, is lives in his unconscious. Yeah. So he gave that to you, which is why you'll have military parents and have hippie children. Yeah. And hippie parents have military children, because your parents are actually giving you a permission to live out their unlived life. Hmm. And a lot of times it looks like they're telling you, no, be like this, but unconsciously they're telling you, no, you go be like that. And yeah. It's interesting because my dad would always tell me uh, how his mom never let him do karate. But then when I wanted to do, when I wanted to be a boxer, my dad wouldn't let me do it. Right. Too. That's what I made me want to do it more. Well, I was going to say, yeah. which <laughs> locked you into doing it more. That's how we live out our... Are, because basically when somebody let's, let's face it, the deep structure of somebody telling you not to do something means right. there must be something really wonderful and powerful <laughs> right. in there, you know so right. it's like, uh, yeah, it's like the opposite of, uh, hello dog hello Chewy, Chewy the dog is here and Jen, hello Jen the human, hi Jen thank you and you're welcome to hang out too if you want yeah, if you want um what was I saying though? I was about to say something. It's gone. It's okay. No, but we're talking about our un, um, our, our parents and unlived. Oh yeah, they say, say the, the repetition and because um, like, when I was reading that in your book and you've talked about this already, but I was thinking about how the one thing that I know really works with kids is if they're having a tantrum, just join them in the tantrum. Yeah. And they let it go. Yeah. It's just like there's Absolutely. no reason to have a tantrum anymore if the adult is also having a tantrum. And then great next stage of whatever. Well, this is that, that whole thing right in the book about uh, recreation equals erasure mm-hmm. that we talked about yeah. before. If you want to talk about that, yeah, yeah, we can. Yeah. There's this principle, and I, and I say just you don't even have to pretend it's true, although I personally think it is true. And it's magic, and it miraculously produces results that will blow anyone's mind if they'll put it into practice. And everyone I've ever told that got it really did it, and it works. And it's like this. If I'm a magician, and you're a magician, and I create an apple, and you look at that apple and go, I love that apple. I'm going to create the exact same apple in the same atom, atom for atom, molecule for molecule in the same time and space. What happens? And some people say there's two apples. Well, there couldn't be two apples because no 
two atoms can occupy the same time and space. Well, then there'd be one apple. Well, it wouldn't really be one apple either because no two atoms can occupy the same time and space. So it's my contention that the apple disappears. So recreation equals erasure, so which is why when I'm talking to you and you nod your head, I'm creating a universe with a communication, an actual universe. Because it's not everything that I'm saying, but it's also everything that I'm not saying that I could have. And that's where communication lives. So when you're hearing me and you're relating to what I'm saying, and you create that for yourself, you nod your head and you let me know, yeah, I got that. And then I can go on. So I've created it, you've recreated it, now we can go on. And the more shared reality that we have, because reality is a function of agreement. So when we agree on reality, we've, we've created a shared reality and then we have more affinity and then we have more understanding and we have more liking and we have more, everything just starts to gel. So we're constantly doing this all the time. And um, you know, like one time my brother and his first wife, they were fighting all the time and he came and he goes, I don't know what to do, we're fighting all the time and I, can you help us? And I said, sure. I said, uh, set up a time between 7 and 7.30 where you fight every night. And he goes, well, what if we don't have, and I said, what do you mean you don't have anything? You're fighting all the time. Ask anybody, you know, we'll give you ideas. So they did it. And what they discovered was is that instead of trying to resist fighting, when they actually tried to make themselves fight, they realized it was silly and it disappeared. And it's, that's a really powerful, powerful thing. If you're feeling depressed, feel depressed. Yeah, Don't try fight to be it. depressed. <laughs> yeah, make yourself depressed in that moment. Not mm -hmm. for the future, <clears throat> not for anything else, but if you're, if you're, whatever you're feeling, if you're having pain, mm -hmm. feel the pain. It goes away. Yeah. Yeah, and recognizing uh, you're actively choosing to do something, uh, you can realize how fluid it was in the first place. Like, I've had a lot of guys uh, recently reach out to me about concern over their place in the dominance hierarchy. Like, they're right. like, around other guys, I'm always the beta male, blah, blah, blah. And I and an exercise I've thrown out to a lot of these guys is try to be the lowest status guy in the right. room. Like, do it actively. Right. Right. And then they can see how it is all... It's all silly. a game. Yeah. It's all a dance. It's all made up anyway. And by the way, you know, this the passive-aggressive is so powerful. And particularly in dating and stuff, you see it with, with more women than men. But there are a lot of men... Where one is the aggressor and one is the play the prey role, you know, and it's like the prey role is a very powerful like I'm going to yeah. make you be attracted to me. I'm going to make you be the aggressor yeah. towards me. Yeah, you know, in kids and <laughs> bullying and stuff, it's it's a dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I learned that a lot in the cult. <laughs> in the matriarchy, how to get your way as the prey. Yeah, uh, which is, right. is even more because like people don't suspect. What you're doing is you're not right. active. Right, seemingly. right. There's in body language, they're showing the neck, you know, and yeah. like there's all this stuff, and you know, it's it's like it's powerful. I had I had a friend. He he was a a gay guy that um, he said when he walked around in cities, he felt very um, vulnerable. And I said, look at the way you walk. Mm -hmm. You 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 you're carrying yourself like a bunny rabbit. Yeah. I said, you know, and and I said that's where people that are going to do bad things. When I'm in a city, I can be totally lost, and I'm standing up, shoulders back, acting like I know exactly where I'm going. Yeah. And when you do that, it, 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 it's a completely different energy. And so uh, 
it, it, and it's like also like for people that are very good looking, you know, it's like they're used to having people approach them, and then, and then if you if you feel like you're not good looking, then you feel like you have to be the aggressor, mm-hmm. like they have something over you, mm-hmm. and it also goes for money. You know, we're always. It seems like men, particularly in the West, we're constantly doing this hierarchy thing. Like, oh, do you have more money than me? Oh, is he better looking? Oh, he's younger. He's in better shape. Oh, he could fight me. He could not fight. You know, it's like this constant. Mm-hmm. you know, judgment, and, and it's, it's so wearing. I mean, you know, we have so much processing power, and we just go in and we're like, oh my God, okay, well, I'm going to be better than him in this, but he's going to be better than this, and okay, yeah. so if we, and it's like, wait, can't you just be human for a while, yeah. you know? And, and it's like, when you, when you treat really good-looking people or people that have money like they're different, that really is, is hurtful. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of younger guys, uh, we, we've grown up playing role-playing video games where there's a character, he's an adult, he can do things you can't do when you're a kid, and they have stats. Right. And I, I, I notice when I speak to adult guys, so many of them are looking at the world as if they're lacking in certain stats. Or the people, and like, that's a, it's a fine way to look at life. I think life is a role-playing game in many senses, but this constant comparison of stats puts you in this lower like, uh, territorial pack framework of thinking, which is very limiting. It, it, it is, and I kind of have a different thought on it. I kind of think it's hardwired. I don't know if we can stop. But what we can do is give it less power. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I feel like like on a computer, right? The circuitry's there mm-hmm. because it's like, it's just from our very existence. I mean, you know, if you look at Darwinism and the way that humans developed, it's all about competition. Because mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking yeah, about yeah. competition. And, and so it's like, I think we're hardwired in, but as as we get more enlightened, I think we can give it less energy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it ever goes away. And I don't know if it could go away, because it's kind of like there's a lot of structure that we're judging all the time. Yeah. Like yeah. that. But it's also, I mean, uh, you've spoken about uh, games, and like yeah. the, the, the lowest common denominator of games of a game is uh, believing you can lose. Right. right? You've, you've right. shared that in the book, you've uh-huh. that in conversation. Um, but this belief, I mean, you have to believe that but that's also, there's a whole world outside of that game. Like, for the game to matter at all, there has to be a chance of winning and losing, but there's also, it's just, that's within the game of solitaire that that matters, right? So like, right. yeah, anyway, I think a lot of people are stuck in forgetting that there's a world outside of this dominance hierarchy or this competition or uh, comparison. I think we are stuck. I think we're stuck as human beings in that. I, I don't know how to break out of that one. I, I wish I did. If, 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 you, if you figure out a way to do that, really let me know. Because it seems like it's such a, an integral part of my monkey mind, you know, the mind that I've got that, that it's going all the time. It's always evaluating and it's judging. And I think, you know, that's why I wrote the book was to be able to learn to process it more successfully. It's like at this point I can really say to my mind and mean it, oh, I know, you've just got to do your thing. I'm just mm-hmm. not going to pay a lot of attention right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I can go into a crowd and like, it's like, it's just so funny. It's like you'll think like what people are thinking about you. Then go home, you know like how you'll be in a crowd wondering about like your clothes and how people are responding to you or whatever. And then go home and say, how many of those people do you remember? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they're all worried about what you're thinking of them for that split second. And then we're on, it's, it's just like this very weird thing it's this it's this glitch where as as a society we've grown out of this but we still have this this dna based stuff going on that's just so peculiar yeah well one thing that helps me is recognizing that it's so context dependent 
like in a, in a room of millionaires, maybe I feel insecure about my wealth. Right. In a room of right. villagers, I'm have, a millionaire. Have, so yeah, it's like, that's right. And yeah. if you, if you, I mean, traveling has given me the experience of having those same different experiences in the same day sometimes. Absolutely. Which just makes you realize how, uh, yeah, how fluid it all is. Well, that was that part in the book. Maybe you want me to tell them about the, yeah. um, the lottery ticket. Because I really like that part. Do you remember it? Uh, okay, you're walking down the street. This is the story that I made up to try to demonstrate because it, it's something that I think about almost every day. You're walking down the street and you find a lottery ticket and you think, oh, my lucky day. I found a lottery ticket. Oh, so, yeah. so you go home and you, uh, you look up the numbers and you won. And you are absolutely overjoyed. You're so happy. And you call your best friend. Guess what? I'm going to quit my job. We can travel the world. And he says, oh, you didn't hear. There's some asshole that uh, printed up all these fake lottery tickets with the winning number. And you're devastated, right? So you've gone through this super high dopamine rush, and now you're just like, ah, you're crashing. And this is, this is what life is like. Because your actual financial situation never changed. Mm -hmm. But you got completely happy and completely devastated and sad, and it never Nothing really ever affected your life except for your projections about it. Yeah. So it's like I've made myself a deal where I don't let myself get too concerned about something unless it actually affects my life. Yeah. Well, I have something similar about what's going on right now in my life. Like, um, so maybe, maybe two months ago, I started really thinking about abundance. Huh. And the stock market happened to be doing really well, and crypto is booming. And I'm like, look at this abundance, my unshakable reality. Oh, yeah. I'm such a brilliant investor. Look, I bought Tesla, blah, blah, blah. And then um, and I you know, had a decent month. And then I had a lot of expenses over the last month. Right. My bank account is showing that. Right. The stock market is dropping. And, I, and nothing has changed in my life. Everything day to day is food, exactly the same. Same clothes, same house, same, same house. Yeah. But now, I mean, it's hard. It was funny reading your book and also recognizing that I feel kind of crappy about my bank account. <laughs> but nothing has changed. <laughs> but I can only tell you that I'm living this to an extreme right now um, because a month and a half ago I got really into crypto and mm -hmm. I was really up and now I'm really down. Uh -huh. Like I've lost a lot, uh -huh. like from what I was playing with. Hasn't affected my life. Right. Not, hasn't it affected my food, where I'm living? It absolutely nothing. I could lose it all, and it still wouldn't affect me. That's not where my right. you know, real income comes from or anything like that. And I am thinking about it about every 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I laugh, and I'm writing this book about wealth and experiencing wealth. And I'm, but I, now I just laugh at myself. Mm -hmm. See, that's what I'm talking about. I don't, I'm not a big person in thinking that these things just disappear, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like learning how to live with them. Successfully, yeah. because they, the part that's funny is you actually want to make friends with it, because all of your insecurities are have have a root that is beneficial. It's like those insecurities are about not just throwing all your money away, mm -hmm. right? Like if you didn't have those, like that that or you didn't have that system, you might be inclined to just to give everything away and have nothing, and you don't want to do that. That doesn't that doesn't suit your life. So it's like I try to look at insecurities or repetitive thoughts that I have and say, I, I actually dialogue with my uh, conscious brain. I dialogue and I say, okay, so what are you trying to tell me with this repetitive thought? Like, oh, you know, oh, you're going to lose this money. Oh, you're gonna, what are you trying to say? Well, it's like I'm trying to tell you my unconscious or my conscious uh, response. It says, I'm trying to tell you about don't be crazy with your money. 
and maybe you're not really a great crypto investor. <laughs> you know, like why are you throwing money that you don't really want to lose on something that there's a lot of people that are doing, know a lot more about than you? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. So again, I create a dialogue. Now I know some people think you're crazy if you do that, but I think we're all doing it all the time anyway. Mm -hmm. I, I dialogue with myself and I say, okay, I'll tell you what, if I promise to be responsible, will you give me a break on the repetitive beating me up for losing some money? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. And, and it actually, that works for me. That, and, I, and I do it with many different parts of my life. So I'm, I'm curious about, uh, if I may speak about my own thing, because I, I, uh, I'm a little bit the opposite. When things are going well, I'm checking, I'm checking the stock market every day. But when things aren't, I become super avoidant. And I don't look at my bank account for weeks and stuff. How, what, what do you think, I sh what's the message there? How do I dialogue? Well, because I've had this pattern in my well, life. Well, okay, so, but you're beating yourself up, but you're not looking. So you're afraid to look. I'm afraid to look. Okay. Or I'm just like, when I, I'll, I'll give it a few weeks and hopefully it'll be more, the numbers will be Oh, I wish I could do that. We should, <laughs> we should talk. I want to I take on yours yeah. because, because mine is when I'm winning, I'm like, well, yeah, I should be winning. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. This is just normal. When I'm, for me, let's say like with gambling, you know, it's like I, I gamble a little bit and um, not a lot. It's not a problem. But it's like when I'm winning, you know, God loves me and the universe is right. And when mm -hmm. I'm losing... It's like I'm, I'm just not a good person. You know, it's like that. That's what comes through to me. And it's like gambling is like, I, I made up the story. I said gambling is like tricking yourself into thinking you're doing something important. Yeah. You know, and it's like that's what we're doing with this. You know, it's like dopamine. When you're winning, it's like, boom, you get this little pleasure thing and you go, yeah. But then the thing is, is that with all of these, and this is what I, I, I really try to communicate in the book, we raise our standard. So that if you won the lottery and you had $20 million, in a very quick amount of time, that would be normal. Mm -hmm. And then when, when it started to go down, because you, know, you made some bad investments or whatever, you would get distraught when you were down to $11 million. Yeah. Even though now you think $11 million would be. So this is the insidiousness about the human experience of wealth in our westernized society where you've always got to be doing more. Like one year, about I mean, nine or 10 years ago, I made a lot of more money, more money than I ever made. And I can honestly say it was not a great year for me. But I still look back and say, damn, I wish I could make that now. Now I know what to do with it. Now, now it would be meaningful. But what I tried to, to, to really communicate in the book is that, that we have this idea that a dollar is a dollar is a dollar. And it's just not true. And we, we have this thought, and it's been just, our brain has been inundated with it from television and advertising and, and you know, social media, that you get so much more joy out of buying a Lamborghini than out of buying something less than a Lamborghini. Mm -hmm. But it's not true. Like, who gets more experience of wealth? Seriously, who gets more experience of wealth? Bill Gates buying a new jet airplane, or the kid in Mexico who saved up for a year and buys his 10-speed bike, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so it's not a dollar for dollar. So if it's not dollar for dollar, then it's what you make it. And when you're willing to really take responsibility for how you hold these hierarchies and how you allow these hierarchies to affect you from a real responsible place, you realize it's your game. It's not Madison Avenue's game. It's your game. And if you buy into it, if you buy into the social distortion that, that happens from advertising, 
That's your responsibility. And I, and I talk about it a lot in the book about responsibility. It comes from two words. Response-ability. It's your ability to respond. So if you don't take responsibility for how you hold wealth in your life, you have given your ability to respond away. And that is a very powerless, and you know, there is no way to be. Because it's a cold and heartless, you know, capitalistic machine that will make you feel like shit because you don't have the right car or the right clothes or the right look or you're getting older or your teeth aren't white enough or any number of things. And you, I remember seeing a Clearsill commercial where it showed a teenager and his kids were having a, uh, a pizza and they say, remind you of anybody's face? And then the, the caption was, even if you, they don't say it in front of you, it doesn't mean that your friends aren't talking about you. And I was like, oh my God, you know, buy this product. Yeah. And that's what we grew up in. Yeah. I mean, consumerism needs us to not feel enough. <laughs> Absolutely. Stop buying stuff. Absolutely. Have you, you read A Brave New World? Uh, yes. Yeah, I do. I mean, that's like this, you have to keep spending money. You have yeah. to keep it. And this is the thing. If you can go into the present moment and real, because guess what? That's where you are. That's where you are. You, you're always in the present moment. It's always now. It's never been anything other than now. You know, the past and the future are delusions because they're not real. Your past is how you remember it only. And your future, when it occurs, will occur as now. And when you realize that you're totally okay right now, like all of your problems and all of your anxiety, they exist in the future or the past, almost always. Like right now, how are you? Mm -hmm. You know, and would you really be better if you had, you know, $10 million? You know, in your bank account, would that, re would that really make your food taste better? Would it really make your clothes feel better? You know, and then the other thing that's funny is like people go, well, I know I could help a lot of people, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, really, well, are you helping one now? Mm -hmm. Because I want to tell you something. Giving a lot of money to charity, you can have not that much of a feeling. And helping one person, you can have a lot of feeling. You can have, so... Don't get caught up in the size of your contribution because it's the context. It's where you're coming from in it. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about, because in the book you share a lot of perspectives on like the middle, going from middle class to super wealthy. Not a huge change, and maybe for the reasons we were mentioning, right. consumerism, a lot of people are stuck in scarcity and have $10 million or whatever. Yeah. But what about from actual poverty to middle? And what about for the people who are barely making their rent and not able to get the things they want like what because I think a lot of mindset stuff to someone in that state is like well that's that's really nice to think that way but what do I do about my money now so can you make your question a little bit simpler for me are you talking about like for people that are in abject poverty and or people that are just like in lower middle class well, having someone who, who has a real experience of scarcity like they can't they're gonna lose they're not able to purchase something they need okay so so what what do you want to know like how should they hold that yeah, what do you say to them because I, I can imagine someone or when I was in a state like this a lot of this mindset stuff I was like oh this doesn't apply to me yet right I can't use right. this you know right um, I, I would say that definitely you can use it I, I would say that it, it comes out of a secret you know a lot of people poo-poo the whole the movie the secret and all of that mm -hmm. but make your goals Make your goals and believe in yourself and believe that you can do it. Um, 
I, there's, there's three simple words, be, do, have. Most people think that to, to uh, if you say to somebody, what would it take for you to be happy? They will tell you something they have to have. So they think that be is a function of have. So you have something, then you do something, then you be something. So you have wealth, then you do things wealthy people do, then you be wealthy. Mm -hmm. But it's exactly the opposite. First you be it, then you do it, then you have it. Mm -hmm. So for people that, that don't get caught up in thinking that you don't have enough, you count your blessings. Even if it's hard. And it is hard. I've been there. I've been totally broke. I've had to sell a, you know, a piece of jewelry for food. And I'll tell you, those can be some very interesting times because you can get real creative. And learning to believe it, um, it, it's all part of the game. And believe in yourself and believe that this is an abundant universe. And it, this is just, like I believe in being broke, not poor. Mm. You know, poor is a mentality. Mm -hmm. And if, if you're being broke, okay. Cut your expenses, see what you have to do. Maybe you need to get out of where you are. Maybe you need to be around different people. Maybe you need brightness of future. You need to know what your plan is for the future. Definitely do a mind map. You know, for me, a mind map consists of three things, method, purpose, and result. So you, you write it down like a triangle and you draw trees off of it and you, and you, and you make a plan. And, and there is nothing more important than visualization and making a plan and a goal. We are creators of our universe. It has to be that. There's no other thing it can be. We're kind of trained and, and made to believe by society that we're, that we're like critiquing a movie and we just happen to be in the movie. Mm -hmm. No. You make it all up. You may have bought into shit when you were younger. No question about it. You were, bought into, you were brought into this world in a, with a bunch of concepts and, and beliefs and people around you. But it's yours now. Mm -hmm. You know, and so how you're going to deal with that and how you're going to take responsibility for that. And by the way, it's very important. Responsibility is not guilt, shame, or blame. You know, I think so many people, you know, are so afraid to actually take responsibility for their life because they don't want to admit that they fucked up so bad. But it's not about admitting that you're fucked up. It's like, okay, this is my circumstance as I see it now. What is my best course of action? Um, in the book I talk about, and, and this one is actually, I, I think it's mine. I've never heard it from anyone else. But that every thought that we have is the answer to an unconscious question. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what question are you trying to ask yourself? If you're trying to ask yourself the question, why am I so fucking poor and broke? Mm -hmm. It is a bad question. And you're going to get a bad answer. Yeah. You know, and if you're saying, what can I, how can I deal with this best? What are my best attributes? What do I have to offer? What do I have to, to offer to do for other people that they will pay me money to do? Mm -hmm. Those are good questions. Yeah. I really like that part of the book or just as an idea because, like, I've been noticing when I'm getting frustrated with people, like, oh, this guy keeps making excuses. I'm like, oh, he's actually asking in his head. How can I fail? Yes. And he's looking for a reason. That's why he's so right. good at coming up with excuses. Absolutely. And it, kind of, it, yeah, it kind of softens my heart around it. It, it, it. You know what? It's just like that thing where I talked about with your parents. When you don't make them wrong, you just realize that's where they are right now. It doesn't mean where they're going to be. And because people transform around you. 
Yeah. I, I've seen it, man. People transform when when you're willing to hear them. It's that whole recreation thing. When if somebody's saying something you don't like, play a game. Play that you're actually having them say that, mm-hmm. and it, it puts you into such power because if if you believe what I believe that that you're creating your life, then. If you're saying you don't like something that you've created, you've stepped out of being a cause. Yeah. You know, and, and that makes it more solid. I really believe in this life you find what you're looking for. I believe it's a holographic uh, experience. So if you're looking for love, you find love. If you're looking for pain, there's pain. If you're looking for hate, there's hate. If you're looking for, you know, bad things, you will find them, I promise. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for, for things that bring you joy and beauty and goodness and wonderful people in your life, you will find that also. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the things, a reason why I realize resentment is so bad. It's not for moral reasons. It's like you can't be resentful and believe that you're in power at the same time. Like those two things. Absolutely. They just, they don't and it's just together. like I talk about jealousy in the book. The, I love deep structure of conversation, right? Like I love what, what's underneath what people are saying. Like where are they, where's the real context of, of, of the question that they're asking themselves? It's like such a fun game to do like what you were doing. When people are talking to you, ask yourself what question are they answering? Mm-hmm. And you'll end up with these real infantile things. And by the way, and I include myself in this, I often find it, it's like why is it not my fault? You know, it's, it's just like one of the number. Well, the economy's really bad, and I can't. This guy treated me really bad, and my my parents didn't pay for my university, and I didn't go to the right school, and I'm surrounded. All my friends got more. And if if those are the numbers you're running, those are the numbers you're going to get. Yeah. You know. So it's it's like, and maybe we should go over the five because the representative sure. was there. So I say there's five styles of unsuccessful operation. And they're actually energies. You can walk by somebody, and I, and it's, but it's more important to recognize them in yourself, but you'll see them in others probably easier. But um, it's resentment, righteousness, guilt, sabotage, and regret. So victim we've kind of already covered. You can walk by people and feel a vortex of self-deprivation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like all the energy's going in. Um, I've got a brother like it. It's like, have you ever met people that, like, you'll say something good and they can't let it sit? Like he's a commercial actor and he does quite well, but I'll say, wow, you were great in that commercial. He goes, yeah, it's a shame I just can't get any residuals. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ugh. You know, but, <laughs> but for him, victim is his identity. So if you say something really good about a victim, they're, they're in a really, <laughs> that's, that, you're messing my game, man. Yeah. You know, so, and then the next one is resentment, like you talked about, like when, like the example is we come home from school and, you know, we tell our mom some, some boys did something bad, and she goes, well, they're just bad boys. And, oh, they're bad? Okay. That lets you offer responsibility for whatever part you played in having, you know, some, some, some problem. Mm-hmm. And so we learn if we just, you know, if we just have them be bad, they're no good. And then there's guilt, like we got in trouble when we were young, and um, we, we said, oh, I'm really, really sorry. And, we, you know, the heat came off of us. And we learned that if we just feel bad about something, I mean, if you look at, you know, like Catholicism or Christian, yeah. you know, a lot or of Or even the legal system, if you show enough yeah. remorse. Right, right, right. If you I, don't show remorse, yeah. you're definitely going to jail. That's true. In yeah. Thailand, they actually make you act out what you did wrong, right? Like, really? Oh, yeah. If you've robbed oh. a bank or you've burglarized, they'll have you come and act it out. Whoa. And they'll be much, much, much more forgiving if you, if you're, if you, if 
you admit your guilt. And by the way, guilt, remember, is different than a, than a heartfelt apology. Um, and then uh, sabotage, where y- y- I'm sure you've had meetings where somebody walks in and says a few words and the whole meeting goes to shit. Mm-hmm. It's like there's people that, um, that, that, that want to keep things always in disarray. So you'll make a plan and they'll be saying things like, we can't make a plan because we don't know if that's going to happen. And you're like, yeah, that's why you make a plan, you know, because we don't know. And then if we need to change the plan, we'll plan it, we'll change it. But, you know, they'll be like wanting to keep things in disarray because they feel most comfortable when they're not, you know, going to have anything be pointed out that they did that wasn't up to what they thought it should be. Mm-hmm. So it's like playing checkers and thinking you're going to lose and you knock the board over. Well, we never really know who is going to win, right? Right. And or we're not trying oh, is another way to absolutely. avoid. Absolutely. You never know if that's, you can fail or disappoint someone. You know. That's right. That's right. I, it, and, and we write ourselves off. Sabotage is, is insidious and it's, and it's all around. And then the last one is righteousness. And I'm right and you're wrong. And uh, you know that Skinner, B.F. Skinner, the, uh, the soci- uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, behaviorist, um, you put a rat in a maze and you put cheese in the fourth tunnel and you do it enough times around it'll go to the fourth tunnel automatically. But if you move the cheese to a different tunnel, um, he'll, he'll go to the fourth tunnel, get pissed off, go back to the beginning, go to the fourth tunnel, but pretty soon he'll start looking in the other tunnels. Mm-hmm. The difference between a rat and a human is a human will go to the fourth tunnel for the rest of his life because he's more interested in being in the right tunnel than mm-hmm. getting any cheese. And humans will do the same thing over and over and over again, not getting the results that they want, but because they were right about doing it before, mm-hmm. and they're desperately afraid of being wrong. And you know what? Being wrong, <laughs> it's so easy. It's like, oh, I was wrong. Now I'm going to correct. It's like I watch people in business, right? Like if you have two things that you've got to do, A or B, and you say one of them is a good thing to do and one of them is a bad thing to do. Now, which thing do you want to do? People will freeze because they don't know. And it's true they don't know. But what they're not realizing is you can pick up A. If it's not A, you put A down and you take B. Mm-hmm. Like, take action. People are so afraid to take action. It's like I talk to more people, like, oh, I have this business idea. And I'm like, well, what are you doing about it? Well, I, I just need to get half a million dollars. And I'm like, why do you need half a million dollars? Well, you got to get the furniture and you got to get... Well, I said, why don't you get some customers first? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like people people want, you know, like all of these reasons why. It's like in life, you either get the success that you want or you get the reasons why not. Mm-hmm. And it seems like so many people are satisfied with the reasons. And honestly, nobody gives a fuck about your reasons. Yeah. Like, like people will nod their head like they're interested. They don't care. If you're successful, people are actually interested because they'd like to be successful too. Yeah. You know? But just like, oh, and why didn't that work out? Well, let me tell you. Like, most boring conversation in the world. Yeah. What are you up to now that's exciting? Yeah. Who are you asking me? No. Uh, are you, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, no, that's a good one. What are you up to now that's exciting? Where, yeah. tell, me about, tell me about with the book or money mm-hmm. about what movement you felt or what, um, what made a difference in your life from, from the book well, about, think, about money. I mean, the most moving thing was a thing I shared about. Like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a sucker for nostalgia. So just having a new memory and a new, like a new, new emotional content for a memory was really interesting. Um, 
As far as action, I mean, a lot of things just made me laugh at like the situation I told you about how my life has stayed exactly the same. Right. But I have, right. I'm worried about this number now. Uh huh. Um, how are you with money? Like, like, do you do you like um, wish a lot that you had more money? So I, you asked me this question at lunch, and I uh -huh. said I could be doing better. Right. That's actually when I was actually. I mean, I had more in the bank account right. then than now, but it's funny. <laughs> so you really could be doing better <laughs> yeah. now. But then, um, you know, I, I thought about it. It's like. And do you uh, remember what I told you when you said that? Uh, if I. No, I, what that statement is. This is just the most classic, and, and again, I, I know I keep saying, it, but I talk about it in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, brain virus. I could do better. Is a brain virus. Right? Yeah. Because you could always do better. Right. <laughs> it's, right. Like, it's like, what the fuck does that mean? Right. I could do better. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, what, what does it mean? It's just a way of belittling yourself. Right. It's, it's a way of self-flagellation. It, it just is like, well, know, I no matter what. I've thought about it since, and it was like, is that, that sentence is me telling, I'm answering the question, how can I show you, Craig, that I know I'm capable of more. As opposed to saying, I'm great with my X number of dollars. Like, right. and, and someone looks at me and be like, oh, well, he's, uh, he, he could be doing better. He doesn't realize that. Like, yeah, but this, <laughs> this is a real interesting thing because I think the deep structure is different than that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think, you know like when you tell somebody, oh, you've got a lot of potential? Mm -hmm. What is that actually saying to them? That they're not, they're not, you're not <laughs> yeah. doing that good, yeah. right? So when yeah. you say, I could do better, I don't think you're saying that you actually think good of yourself. Mm -hmm. I think you're saying, I'm not living up to how I think I should be. Yeah. And, and when, you, when you're thinking, I'm not living up to where I should be, you, that's where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. So your, your unconscious is then going to show you, see, you could be doing better. Yeah. You know, look at here. It's not here. But both of them are made up, mm -hmm. right? It's, so it's like, it, it's, it's so weird. It's like I've been around people that like inherited a lot of money. And it's just, it's just there's a few things that can make humans crazier mm -hmm. than that. Because they're thinking like, well, I didn't make it on my own. It's not really, I didn't do anything for this. Yeah. You know, and I have a very good friend. He passed away. He got, you know, into drugs really bad. But, you know, he just inherited a ton of money. And... He went around on jets and, you know, I mean, just like a lot of money. And he always had that thing about trying to make a business happen. Mm. But it never worked because whenever there was a problem in the business, instead of fixing the problem, he just put more money on it. Mm -hmm. You know, like one day he was staying at my place and I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I have to call. He started a clothing company and I have to call and talk to him because I have to cover all the checks that bounced from the day before. Mm -hmm. And I'm like... You cannot run a business like that. <laughs> that you know, but I mean, for him, and, and so it's like this, I guess what I'm trying to tell you is, it's like, for me, like when, when, when people feel like, like one of the things is I'll look in the mirror and not feel that I look good. You know, that's one of the things that my brain tells me. And, and I, people think that it's a low ego, but, and I think it's a low ego, but it's not. It's that I think I should look better. Mm -hmm. So it's coming from a big ego. Mm -hmm. So your ego is telling you, probably regularly, right, you could be doing better. Mm -hmm. So it, it's really keeping you down. Yeah. Because you're doing exactly how you're doing. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, you couldn't be doing better at this moment. Yeah. It's that's why it's a virus. It's a lie. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. You couldn't be doing better now. 
You're doing exactly what you're doing. So how do you answer that question? Um, or how would you well, suggest someone? I, I, la I laugh at it. Like, well, how are you doing? Um, I actually am doing great. Mm -hmm. So if somebody says to me, and I mean this, like, what would it take for you to be happy? My answer is nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm happy. Yeah. And I do. I spend, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm just like going around joyous all the time. I've got my issues and my neurosis and, and, and all of that. And, you know, and it's like I'm dealing with all of this stuff, but I don't need anything to be happy. Because if you say that you need something, what you are communicating is that you're not happy. I hate that thing with potential. And I mean, I got it in school a lot. I didn't do well in school, dyslexic and all of that. You're, you have so much potential. And it's like fucking cursing a child. Yeah, I've said that to people recently, trying to, reading well. Right. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I'm subcommunicating something else. Yeah, well, I yeah. mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you, I don't like to say it to people. Mm -hmm. I like, to, like I, just, I just had somebody that we know actually, uh, Muhammad. Was, was writing his goals. And he says, I'm pursuing power. And I go, well, if you keep that, you'll never catch it. <laughs> you know? You know? Yeah. I don't see you as pursuing power. I see you as powerful. Yeah. So for me, if I ask you that, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. And, you know, even if you're feeling like you're not telling the whole truth, it is a truth. You are doing great. You're an awesome man. I'm very happy to have met you and to talk with you and I always learn and you have a, a real interesting way about you and, and, I, and I like the community that you've surrounded yourself with. So what's, in what standard could you be doing better, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, like I say, I, I, I collect brain viruses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I could unpack this a little bit with you, it's like, um, so as I mentioned, my life hasn't changed at all right. since my ups and downs, whatever, investing and stuff. Um, but what it really comes down to is fear of the future. Like, why, why would I care for $10 million? Because I wouldn't have to worry about the ups and downs. Right. I so think. you actually believe that? Well, that's, that's, the, that's the program that caused me to feel bad when I look at my bank hey, account. Okay, the, the program didn't cause you. Right. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the one you took on. Okay. Right, right? <laughs> that, that, You're not separate. <laughs> right, that's the perspective right. that I've chosen that is right. making me feel... No, it's not making you feel... That I'm that feeling, that I'm feeling. Good. So I'm feeling around it. What are you feeling around it? Uh, not a whole lot in this moment, but I have in the last weeks I've felt kind of like sick or like, oh shit, I, sh I made some maybe not the best decisions. Well, you know what? Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you should have pulled out my money. Yeah, you should have. That's great. And, and you, know, yeah. you know, it's funny with regret because I got to tell you, I do it all the time. Like I was, I was into Bitcoin when it first came out. Mm -hmm. Okay, even set my computer up to mine Bitcoin, and then went on to something else. Yeah. Right. So I, I will do this thing where I will run this real shit program in my brain, mm -hmm. and, and I do it regularly. If you had only yeah. done that, and then it's like, but you know what? I decided it. Like, if you're gonna go back and regret, go back and regret not picking the lottery numbers. Right. Because there's just as much chance of you changing the past with the lottery numbers as that you had made a different investment. Yeah, my my crypto is just fell. I believe in it. I think it's going to be great in the future, but I just lost you know a very large percentage of what it was worth two weeks ago, mm -hmm. and I run that pro. But I I say to your, to myself, you know, it's like what's the truth? 
Is it really affecting your life? No. Could it go up? Yes. Did you think it was right when you did it? Yeah. Are you going to sell it? No. Then were you going to sell it if it went you know, up? No. I was planning on keeping this for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So does it really matter what the price is now? Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like it. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, 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 I try to have intelligent... And, and this is the important thing. It's like when we talked about the recreation, right? I mean, psychiatrists go to school, you know, a long time to learn to how to say, oh, so it was your mother. Right. You know, so it's like, yeah. So they learn to recreate so that somebody can talk to them and they don't belittle them. Well, learn to be that for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, learn, learn, learn to recreate what you're experiencing. It's, it's like one of the most valuable things I ever heard was this guy said, he, he led seminars a lot of them, and he worked with millions of people, literally. And this guy stood up and said, I'm discovering all this stuff about myself, and I really hate it. You know, it's really hard for me to deal with, like for you, like when you're saying, I'm not, you know, like when you discover something, you're like, oh, and, and about yourself. And he said, listen, what I'm going to tell you is just true. I've worked with millions of people, and when you're discovering things about yourself that you don't like, the way you should treat yourself as you would a child with whom you're very fond. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it, like there's... Um, where was that Werner Earhart? What's that? Was that Werner Earhart? Yeah, it was. Okay, it was. Yeah. yeah. And he said, um, he said, uh, it, it, it's like we are so tough on ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, like how would you treat a young boy that came to you and said, you know, that he was feeling like he wasn't doing as good as he could, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You would, you you would say, you know what? You are beautiful. You're wonderful. You know, you're look at how cool you are, and I love you, and. But when it comes to yourself, you're like, yeah, I should be doing better, damn it. Yeah. Right? And, and, and it's like we're so hard on ourselves. And then we can't figure out why we're, you know, like not flourishing. Yeah, it's funny with money too. Like, I mean, even though I'm maybe a little, I mean, whatever, I've had some negative feelings in the past weeks. Uh, I'm still doing way better than I was five years ago, 10, you know, in a in dollar right. amount, right? Right. And I always think back, like, man, I wish I could have told myself at 25, don't sweat it. Like, yeah, money is a dollar now doesn't that's make right. a difference. But it's hard. If no, I that's good. That, I, you know, I, I, I think that's really <laughs> important. Like, for me, I look in the mirror. I'm 62 now, right? And I look at pictures of when I was your age. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then, I, then it hit me one day. I wonder if I'm going to be 90. And look at pictures when I was 62 and go, man, you really had it going on. (laughs) It's like like always that thing about, but remember, that's how we hold it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really the context where we're setting up the game. Mm -hmm. You know, and so we're getting, remember, you're setting up the game to produce the results you're getting. Mm -hmm. So so if you want to change the result, you change the game. You know, the secret to happiness is a low threshold of contentment. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm serious. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you can play good games, but be gentle to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. Be loving to yourself. I mean, it's just, it's so important. Can you give an example of changing the game? Um, you can use me, my, me as an example. Or, sure, sure, sure. Like, well, you changed the game. Like, you, you just did it, right? Where you were, like, being hard on yourself. Mm-hmm about because you lost money this week. Mm-hmm. But then you said, but I'm doing a lot better than I was five years ago. Yeah. So that you've now changed a different hierarchy game. Instead of comparing yourself to where you were last week, mm-hmm. you're comparing yourself, that, so you changed game. Right, okay. 
Yeah. So yeah, yeah. so you, you can change it like we try to change it like, oh, look at we, we're not like starving in India. Mm. Right. So that's like changing our game, but it doesn't stay very long. Right. Yeah. So but you, you, you want to start actually having a game that, that where you're where you're finding what's right. You know, like we like. I know you've given thought to like raising kids, like how you would raise kids, right? Like, are you going to focus on the behavior you don't like, or are you going to focus on the behavior you like? Yeah. You know, you're going to focus on the behavior you like, because whatever you're focusing on, you're going to get more of. Yeah. If you want to beat yourself up, you're going to give yourself more reasons to do it. Right. I mean, it's, it's a play. You know, it's like I I, I mentioned the, uh, you know, Shakespeare always wrote about enlightenment. And he used two vehicles, comedies and tragedies. The only difference is at what point in the play the enlightenment took place. Mm -hmm. The only difference between the comedies and the tragedies. In the comedies, the enlightenment took place at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Oh, life is chaos, taming of the shrew, and you know, like, everything's laughing. You know, then in Romeo and Juliet, we've lost our most precious possession, our children, to a petty squabble among neighbors. You know, and then guy says a curse on both of your house, and everyone got enlightened. Mm -hmm. You know, so for me, this I like the comedy travel adventure. You know, mm -hmm. so I want the enlightenment at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's like I think I mentioned I I have a guru complex. I think you you also have a bit of a guru complex, mm -hmm. where we think that if people listen to us, we can really, you know, help them. And I like the guru complex. There's there's some problems with it. I'm, you know, I try to impress people more than is healthy, in my opinion. If I, if I, if I'm being present, if I'm not being present, if I'm not being real, um, it's annoying to me and others. It's, it's oftentimes a problem for me with peer relationships. I either want to have people up here where I'm learning from them or I'm, I'm teaching them. Yeah. You know, and uh, but the, the the parts that I like are my life has to look good, or people don't want to listen to me. So I tend to have amazing houses and great travels and adventures. But I mean, that, that, that's a complex. And you know, other people have a victim complex. You know, and then their life has to look bad or no one feels bad for them. Mm -hmm. So I mean, that's a game. So if you don't like your game, change your game. You know, find out. I believe that we're motivated by our insecurities. Mm -hmm. So if you find out what you've become really good at, underneath it, you'll find an insecurity. And for, particularly for men, I don't think as much for women uh, around, around wealth, but for men, it's about pleasing our fathers. We have the, or, or whoever was the male role model in our life. Um, it, it's almost every guy that I talk to. I mean, e even, you know, like they've made movies about it. They've made, you know, it's like the idea that of, of getting our father's approval. Yeah. Like my dad would really like me if I could do this, mm -hmm. you know, and... Um, it, it's it's ingrained in us, yeah. You know, and so you have you know like the issues with your dad. It's still in there that you want to show your dad that you're a good man. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, for me, there's a seven-year-old boy that felt awkward and weird, uh, that, and that my father didn't get me, didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. And uh, my brother was super athletic and and and. and really vivacious and didn't care what other people thought and so people were attracted to that where I was kind of overthinking things and uh, felt awkward and, and a little weird and the last 25 years of my father's life I was a superstar in his life I you know, was living the life that he had wanted 
And, um, you know, I helped him out financially, and he just thought the world of me. That didn't make that seven-year-old boy go away. That seven-year-old boy is, I believe, hardwired into the system. But what I have chosen to do is not let him be the one that decides or chooses to evaluate myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to put him in the driver's seat. He's mm-hmm. going to be there, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just not going to give it so much energy. But, you know, like when I meet people, I'll, I'll, I'll see. You know, it's like, look, look at your conversation when you're sitting to somebody on a plane. Right? And you're going to go on a trip. Look to what you're cueing them into about you first right and and I've had you know success in my life on businesses and hotels and stuff like that and I will very quickly give the cues that I'm, I'm financially successful mm-hmm. it's part of my identity so it's like oh yeah like well where do you live well I travel back you know I give all the, I won't yeah. just come out I'll like be a cool rich guy right yeah. uh, I'll be like you know I'm not gonna just like say oh by the way I'm I'm really successful please like me for that yeah but that's exactly what I'm saying. <coughs> and I am still communicating out of, um, uh, out of my nervousness uh, of being judged by somebody that I, 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 I'm wanting to be judged on a curve, right? It's like, by the way, I'm successful and I'm, I'm smart. I've memorized these things and I, you know, all of those things. And it comes from insecurity. But it also, I'm okay with it. You know, I, I don't, I'm, I'm nice with it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bad about it. I'm not one of those asshole rich guys, you know, at least in my mind, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've always had the model of thinking that, okay, wounded seven year old boy has a need kind of like in the sixth sense, there's a ghost that needs to finish yep. his thing. Yep. And then when he's, cause like I've thought of like my cues haven't been with money, but I've tried to show people how cool my career is or my sex call story or right. something. But after a certain number of repetitions of telling the same story, it really just feels like sugar. Like it feels like yeah, but just, you just change the story then. I mean, because it's still I, the same I, thing, right? I'm tired of talking about it now. No, no, I'm I not mean, talking about that. I'm talking about then. Do you talk about something else? Oh, maybe that's for the same. Yeah, maybe right. Maybe. So, so like, what's your biggest insecurity? Um, like, what are you when you meet somebody? Like, what is it afraid? Like, for, for me, it's, it's that I didn't go to school, I didn't go to college, three years of high school, and felt weird. So mine is that I'm not like other people, that I'm weird. Like, there's something really off about me, that, that lives inside of me. I don't know if I have one specifically, because the things that, I mean, in certain contexts, I think I'm afraid of people thinking my job is weird. That's also where I get the most validation in other contexts. Right. So, so like, what is your job? I coach men. Okay. I hate the term life coach. I actually really loathe the term life coach. So okay. I, in fact, when I introduce myself and someone asks me what I do, I say, I hate the term, but. Right, right, right. right. There you go. No, that, yeah. that, that, see that. So what are you afraid of about life coach? Like what, do you, what do you think it represents? Like corniness. Uh, okay, so you're afraid you're corny. Yeah, I'm afraid of corniness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is that <laughs> awkward kid, right? I guess so, yeah. Are you guessing? I don't know. What's that? Are you guessing? You said, I guess so. I'm just curious. Is it a guess or is that true? Did you uh, feel awkward as a kid? Yeah, I don't know if it's the same thing that I feel now. I got, the thing I'm afraid of now is being like people who I judge who think they have all the answers and they're so cool, but right. they're really full of hot air. Like, that's right. what I'm afraid of. Right, right. right. Um, so, 
I try to present that it's kind of like what I said I could be doing better it's like I want you to know that I think it's corny too just in case right. you think that idea is right, corny right yeah. right that's like me wanting to be a cool rich guy yeah, right? yeah. I'm not one of those I'm not going to come right out and say it yeah. I'm going to hint around right. Right. <laughs> yeah. cool cool uh, so I know your book is still in the process of yeah editing, I'll give you a, I'll give you a link uh, link to it later Okay. Do you know when it'll be up? For I, I, I'm gonna, I think it's gonna be available on the net in a couple of weeks. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And um, thank you very much for this. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for. And you're an awesome guy. Yeah. You too. <laughs> Take care.